0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over, all of the, came, came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start this morning by just asking a question. Tell me if you can relate to this idea. Uh, there was a time, one time, I was trying to drive, and it's actually happened more than one time. I was trying to drive my vehicle, and sometimes it's it's my car. Sometimes, if I, I borrow somebody else's car, and it it just feels like something's wrong. Like I'm hitting the gas. It's in drive. We're going but we're not really going, something is off, right? And so you get out and you check, like, flat tire, Uh, did I turn the car on, turn the car off, did something right, something wrong, am I stuck in the mud or in loose terrain, right? How many of you have gotten, you're trying to drive and it's just sluggish, there's just something off. And then I realized, and I had this like, oh, this is why, is I saw the illumination of brake, I left the, yeah, you're nodding because you're like, Sean, it's a parking brake, right? Yeah, totally happened multiple times, not only in my vehicle, but usually like when it's, I'm borrowing somebody's truck or a U-Haul. If I'm borrowing a U-Haul and I'm like trying to drive this stupid truck and just going and it's the parking brake. The parking brake serves a purpose, but in that instance, it was becoming an obstruction to my ability to drive smooth and get where I wanted to go, right, drive freely as I was designed. It was slowing me down. And today as we talk, I wanna think about, we're gonna talk about generosity, we're gonna talk about money, we're gonna talk about our stuff, we're gonna talk about our possessions. And I want us to think for a moment, money serves a purpose, like a parking brake. But money can also be something that causes our pursuit of Jesus to be a little herky-jerky, a little sluggish. The love of money can slow us down in such a way where it can cause us obstruction as we're trying to freely pursue Jesus. We can kinda, I wanna follow Jesus. But my love of money, my, my materialism, my greed, my desire for more is like having that parking brake stuck on the car. And as we talk about money, it's, it's an important reminder because Jesus talked a lot about money. As you look at the Gospels, you can't get through the Gospels very often uh, or very far into the Gospels without seeing Jesus have a convers- having a conversation about money, about possessions, about greed, he encountered people who had a love for money and various people like the rich young ruler have this moment with Jesus and his pursuit of Jesus is inhibited by a parking break and that parking break is his love of his stuff. When Jesus says, go sell everything and follow me, uh, and the parking brake is engaged and this guy's just like, nope, can't do that. And he walks away with his head heavy. So instead of being slowed down by our possessions and our money, can we be a people who develop a rhythm of generosity? And today I wanna talk about three changes we can make to develop a rhythm of generosity. Reshaping these rhythms of how we view and and engage with our money and our possessions so that we can grow as disciples and we can see a vibrancy in our church community. The, The early church was described as a generous people and they were vibrant, and it is the ideal that now, 2,000 years later, we all like, let's be like the early church, let's be like the church in Acts, right? Well, they were a generous church, and those disciples were growing and maturing and developing their faith. This was something that was characterizing them. They were selflessly stewarding their resources. So how do we today learn to do that? We're gonna talk about three changes that we can make, but let's look at that text and just see where generosity characterizes the early church. In Acts 2, and Todd just read it, but I'm gonna read portions of it again in verse 44 through 45 and then verse 46. It says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. It's a characterization of the early church. It is a rhythm. We're talking about a rhythm of generosity, a rhythm. This is not just an occasional donation. This is not just, well, it's Christmas time and the season of giving, let's give something up. This is a regular practice, this is a habit, this is ongoing. It was so habitual that what? It described the early church. If it was only on an occasion, would they have been described as a generous people? No. But because it was so regular and so habitual, so, so much of a lifestyle, it is a rhythm of generosity. And what's interesting to me is that as Luke is uh, capturing the essence of the early church in this passage, right? It's talking about how they pray together. They go to church together. They worship together. They take the Lord's Supper, as Todd talked about during communion. They do all of these spiritual disciplines together. One of the things that Luke found really important to talk about was their generosity. That of the early church, one of the rhythms that was so vital to them was being a generous people, consistently Generous, and so generosity is that idea that we see in this passage, sharing everything that they have. Nothing left off the table, it's just bold giving. This is not out of the extra and the surplus that they have. It wasn't like, hey, I've got multiple properties, let me give one up. Hey, I've got three Ford F-150s, I think I can sacrifice one. Hey, I struck the lottery, I've got $3 billion, let's go, you know, here's a portion of it. This isn't living out of the excess of like, I have three hammers, I'll give a hammer to the church. This is, I'm giving everything I can. They view their money differently. It's not out of the excess or the surplus. It is a willingness to give everything that they have. And that is the kind of generosity that described the early church. That is the kind of generosity that described these disciples that were radically pioneering what we now hold as the church. And Luke continues to describe them in chapter four. You fast forward a couple of pages in your Bible and he describes them even more and you see this generosity again reiterated. Again, when you see this repetition, it's like, okay, this must be very important, right? We see this generosity described in Acts chapter four, verse 32. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own. And so they shared everything that they had. Verse 34, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Again, seeing this rhythm, but I want us to peel back the layer for a second on this rhythm and to see what happens to the disciples, what happens to the church as generosity is an attribute or characteristic of this group of people. One of the phrases that's interesting in this passage in Acts chapter four is that they would bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Other translations that you might be more familiar with say that they would lay it at the feet of the apostles. So they would sell their property or sell whatever they had or give away and they would bring it and lay it at the feet of the apostles. So guys like Peter and John are sitting there in the room and they're like, here you go. And they would lay it all down right at their their dirty sandals, right? They just put it right there. I wanna think about the significance of that in this moment. I want us to picture that for a second and what this act symbolizes as they're laying it down at the apostles' feet. Now, thankfully, we don't do that. I don't stand up here and say, bring your offerings to my brooks high tops. You know, I don't lay it down at my feet. No, we pass a basket or we have a collection box, you give online. But the heart here is very similar but I want to explore this for a second. They would bring it and lay it at the feet of the apostles. Think about what that symbolizes. One is it symbolizes a letting go. As they're bringing it to the feet of the apostles in this group of people that are meeting together and they're laying it down at their feet, they are letting go. They are relinquishing. They are not clinging to it anymore. This is an image of what? Surrender. I'm surrendering it. Money doesn't have control over them anymore. It is not something that is their God. They don't demand it back. This isn't some like 90-day money-back guarantee either, right? They're not like, hey, I'll lay this down, but if I don't like it, uh, John, give it back to me. 90-day guarantee. No, there's nothing like that. They don't come back with a receipt and say, I'm not seeing a return on my investment. Give me back my money. It's letting go when we learn to let go of our money, what happens? It loosens the grip on our lives. It loosens the grip that money can have on us. See, as much as we cling to our money, our money has a tight grip around our hearts. And by learning to let it go and lay it down, we loosen that grip that we have and that it has. There's, There's some symbolism there. But as we're relinquishing that, we're also relinquishing control and learning to trust God. I think about these people bringing these gifts to the apostles and laying it down at their feet, and you know what they're learning to do? Because they could have easily just taken that money, looked around the room and said like, this guy doesn't have any food, let's give him some food, right? They could have just given it to him one-on-one, but instead what are they doing? They're giving it to the apostles and they're learning to trust in God more than they trust in themselves. They're learning to trust that God is going to work through the apostles to meet the needs of the church community. Think of the trust it takes to give something to someone else and say, you distribute it. That takes trust. Anybody willing to sell all of their property and give me the money and say, spend it wisely, Sean? That's what the apostles are experiencing is people are bringing these funds, but what they're doing is they're trusting that God is going to inspire the apostles for this is the way these things need to be distributed, this is the way this money needs to be spent, these are the people in need, and they're learning to trust in God more than they trust in their own control of how they would spend it. Learning to trust in God more than they would trust in their own solutions and their own power and their own wisdom on how to solve these problems. I've been in church long enough to have conversations with people and there are times where people have said, I would give to churches if I could trust that the money would be spent well. But I don't like the way that this church or that church or this church or that church is spending their money, so I'd rather just give it to them myself. There's no trust. You're learning to trust that God has appointed people in leadership positions to steward those resources well. It takes trust to trust pastors, business councils, our organization has some structures in place. I get it, I feel that tension. I give to the church, I gotta trust that our ministry staff and myself and our business council are stewarding those resources well when we give to the church. Our church gives to the denomination, the four square denomination. We give 10% of everything that comes in. We take every month 10% and give it back to the denomination. And then I watch the denomination spend and I have to learn to, okay, God, I, you've appointed people in, in the denominational leadership to spend the money that we're sending out. How much could our church use that 10%? We could probably use it better than they could. We would never say those things, but we feel that tension inside, whether it's with a denomination or whether with it's church leadership. And I'll tell you what, candidly, I feel that responsibility in the way that we steward and spend, that it requires for people in our church to trust that we won't be frivolous, that we won't be wasteful. But in that trust, you're growing. Your heart is being shaped. Your heart is being developed to say, I will trust in more than just myself. I will trust that God will lead and direct and shape the leaders of our church to meet the needs of our community, to meet the needs of our church, to to advance the mission of our church. It takes trust. The other thing that I think that this image relates to me is I see the disciples and and the followers bringing these funds to the apostles' feet is letting go, learning to trust God, but also making God the hero. The apostles were the intermediary. They would be able to take the funds and then give it to a recipient who needed them, right? Who's the hero in that moment? They didn't praise the apostles, they praised God. So the recipient would receive this blessing, whether it be food or clothing or money of of some kind, and the praise was directed to their heavenly father for providing. God's the hero in the story. And in ancient times it would have been customary that let's say you've got rich guy A over here and rich lady B over here, if they just took their money and gave it to guy in need over here, well now guy in need feels indebted, almost enslaved. I owe you, it's awkward. You're the hero now, oh thank you mighty rich man or woman. Thank you for, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Who's the hero in the story if they give directly to the person in need? The giver, the donor. The recipient feels indebted. The recipient feels like they need to praise and thank and affirm and gosh, did I thank them enough? I gave them three thank you cards this year just to say that that got me through, you know. Does that make sense? Who are they praising? Who are they honoring? Who are they following? Who are they worshiping with their heart? The giver, the donor. But in this setup that had been established where people would say, hey, I've got this. I'm gonna give this to the apostles. The apostles will distribute it as necessary. Who gets the praise? It's not the apostles. It was Jesus, The people would receive generously a gift and, and God got the praise. God got the honor. God is the hero of the story. And I think looking at this example, looking at this, this structure that they had set up in that time, it, 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 teaches us that generosity is not about what we receive uh, from it as a giver. Being generous is not about, oh, I want that warm, fuzzy feeling that I can see their smile and I can see that this is going to make an impact. It's not about getting that thank you card or that validation or that affirmation. And sometimes generosity gets tied to those things, doesn't it? I give to what feels good. It doesn't feel good to know that my tithe can pay for the lights at the church. Awesome. Oh, Sweet, my tithe bought toilet bowl cleaner today. Awesome, right? That doesn't bring the warm, fuzzy feeling. But When I know that my money went to what you saw, the FDR update, oh man, we're feeding people in need. We're housing people after a wildfire. Oh, I wanna give to that. That makes me feel good. Generosity isn't about what I feel. It's not what I get out of it. When I make God the hero, it's not about me being the hero. It's not about me being at the center of the story. I be generous, I become generous because it's about meeting the needs and saying, God, whatever I have is so that you can meet the needs of the people of your church, to expand the mission of your church, to expand your kingdom. Looking at this passage and the way the church operated and functioned, It just, to me, affirms my conviction and my values that there is is an important part about giving to the church. You can give directly to people. You see somebody on Facebook's like, they're struggling. You shouldn't be like, well, let's give to the church so that we can get them gas money every time, right? If you see a need, there's times where it is appropriate to go just meet the need directly. But there is a, a big value of mine and a conviction and a belief that there is something about giving to the local church that you're a part of. That tithe, that offering is, is learning to let go. It's learning to trust somebody else. It's learning to make God the hero and not me the hero. Those are lessons I need to be learning constantly. I haven't completed those lessons, right? Different seasons of life, I need to be taught those things. But that regular, proportionate, consistent giving back to our local church, God. God teaches me those lessons at different seasons of my life. And how would you describe that kind of generosity? Look at at the church and what words come to mind as they're laying those gifts at the feet of the apostles. Words like surrender, words like trust, words like humility come to mind, right? Those are attributes that all of us would want to characterize our lives. And that's where I think our hearts and our minds and our lives get shaped it's through that generosity that God's shaping me to be more humble, to be more selfless, to be more of a surrender, trusting type of person. So I grow as a disciple, I grow as a follower of Jesus as I develop this rhythm of generosity. But it doesn't just affect me personally. It affects the congregation as a whole. Look at what happens in that passage as generosity just permeates the whole community of the early church. What happens? Needs are met. How many of you want to see needs met in your church? A few of you. That's great. Needs are met. I love hearing this and seeing this in this passage, right? No needy people among them. How many of you would want to know if there's somebody in our church that's not working because of one reason or another, they can't get employment, that they aren't struggling because their needs are being met? or a single mom or a single dad is is able to take care of their family because the church is helping intervene and be a support and be an advocate for them. Needs being met, people being taken care of, there is action behind their words. They don't just pat each other on the back and say, we love this church, we love you. No, there's action behind it. There's life behind it. They don't just say that they love you, they show it. And what happens is not just that needs are met, what else happens? Unity of heart and mind. It says in that passage in chapter four that the believers were united in heart and in mind. Generosity binds people together. There's a shared mission, a shared values, a shared uh, vision for this is what we are about. We're about caring for people, meeting needs, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for those that, don't have and it unites people around a shared vision and a shared values a shared mission there's unity and then it says also in the passage that we read in acts chapter two that as they shared they shared meals together with great joy and generosity how many of you want more joy in your church right i mean we're a pretty fun group but we want more joy of the lord right? A collective joy amongst the people. And it's not because, you know, Apostle Peter was just this hilarious comedian up front, right? It wasn't because, oh man, our life group, we just like to jab each other and have fun. No, there's a joy behind giving and seeing needs be met. To see shared vision and people on mission together, that brings joy and excitement. If we want healthier churches, we want more vibrant churches, we want more united churches, we want More mission focused churches, we have to develop this rhythm of generosity. It is a key variable in that that place. We want healthier relationships. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You want to grow in your, you want to release the parking brake and pursue Jesus freely. This rhythm of generosity is not just for a select few, it is for all of us to experience. A rhythm of generosity is going to lead to maturing disciples and healthier churches. Because people are giving their lives away for the sake of others. We're living like Jesus with our budgets and our finances and our lives. And we're willing to look at everything that we have and say, God, what do you wanna do? How do we expand the kingdom of God rather than build my mini kingdom here on earth? And so I want to talk about three changes real quick about how we can create a rhythm of generosity, because I think just looking at those those passages we see, man, it it develops me as a disciple, it develops a health within the church congregation, but how do I do this? What do I need to change? What do we need to change in order to develop a rhythm of generosity? Because to go from zero to 100 is kind of tough, right? How do you release that parking brake? What are some changes that we need to implement? What needs to change in us? One is that we need to change our view of money. The way we view money is through a certain lens, and I think it needs to change at times. Jesus said if you would cling to your life, you'll lose your life. The more you tighten your grip on your stuff, the more it tightens its grip on you. We have to change the way that we view these things that we have and the money that's in our bank accounts. We have to change the perspective on money and see for what it is. It's no longer the source of my identity. The size of your bank account does not define your success. Can we just take a deep breath in that? Because some of us are chasing that. We want affirmation and validation and we want our identity wrapped up in the successes of life, what truck we drive, what boat we have, how many houses we own, where we vacation, the clothes and brands that we put on, our, uh, on our, ourselves, the, the image that we present, and it's tied to success and value and identity and affirmation. You're not loved because of how much is in your bank account. Jesus doesn't love you because of your 401 k what brand of shoes you wear. So we have to view money differently. It's no longer the source of my identity. It's not linked to the love that Jesus has for me. Money is not the goal in my life. It is not the thing that I am chasing because I don't know about you, the more I chase money, the more I'm left unsatisfied. Has anyone ever reached the point of like, I have enough, and you're like, I'm done. I don't need any more. I'll admit, when it was at $1.5 billion, I bought a Mega Millions ticket. And I thought, would that be enough? Yes, and And then you start dreaming. What would you do, what would you buy? Our kids started like spouting off their lists. I was like, hey, I bought the ticket, not you. (laughs) And then you have that discussion. How many of you have ever dreamed this? And you thought, would you take the lump sum or would you take the payments? But if I take the lump sum, I'm gonna take less money. I have $500 million, but I'm giving up 200 million because I didn't take the payment plan. 500 million isn't enough? You see how ridiculous that conversation when it's bloated and you're dreaming about millions and billions and things like that? And some of you are just like, "Your, your brain is ruined right now that your pastor bought a Mega Millions ticket. Let it go, I didn't win. But if I had, life would have changed for Hub City Church, that's for sure. We'd have bought Burlington, so. (laughs) But you start to realize that the success, the goal, the mission, my identity, the solution to my problems, my stresses, my headaches are not going to be solved by this. I have to view money differently. I have to view money as a gift from God. That's a perspective change that has had to happen. It's not mine to possess, it's a gift that God has given me and I I view it as a gift and I view it with open hands saying, God, this is a gift from you and I will view it not with a tight grip but with an open handed posture. It says that in Acts they, they felt that what they owned was not their own. They lived their lives with their properties and their things with open hands to say, God, you've given, and God, I will give with open hands. They view their stuff as a gift. And if it's a gift from God and a gift for other people, think of how that would change your perspective if you began to view everything you owned as a gift. Everything you owned was a gift from God. And secondly, to view everything that we own and all the money that we have as a tool for good. Think about how differently you would view the money in your account if you viewed it as a tool for good. Everything that we own being a tool for good. The believers in Acts shared what they had as a means for helping others. To begin to look at the things that we possess and the money that we're saving up and saying, God, what good do you wanna do with this? Rather than, God, what surplus and what fun and what expense and all of this that we're gonna have with that, right? We kind of view our money through this lens of, if I get this, then I get this, and then I get this, and then I'll feel this, and it changes. And so I would encourage you to consider thinking about how you talk about money, how you feel about money, How often you talk about money? Who you talk about money with? These are questions to be thinking about, but it's gonna change your perspective. The frequency in which you talk about money will be an indicator of what your view on money is. How you feel about your money? How do you talk to your kids about money or your grandkids about money? You see, it all ties into how we view our money, and I would consider this to be a a, a starting step of changing our view of money. It is a gift from God and it is a tool for good. Secondly, the next change would be to change our priorities. The ultimate priority, the ultimate goal is that we would be people who would give 100% of our lives. Jesus did not commend the religious because they gave 10%. Who did he praise? He praised the woman who gave two coins and that two coins, what was the percentage of her gift? 100%. See, I hear that story, and people are like, see, it shows that God doesn't care about the amount. But if you're talking in percentages, what is Jesus praising? A woman who is willing to give 100%. The gospel is the story of Jesus giving 100% for the kingdom, 100% for the sake of somebody else, to have a relationship with the Father, Right? The goal of the gospel is to transform us to being people who are willing to give 100% of everything that we are and have and be to the kingdom of God. Am I willing to give 100% of my life for the glory and the kingdom of God? So to change my priorities, to get me the, the training ground to being able to give 100%, I believe is when I, when I, when I make that donation for 10% every month. When I give 10%, God is preparing me to give 100% because it changes the way that I view my money when I give it. It prepares me for the ultimate goal of giving 100%. It it changes the way I view money and and hold on to my money and all of that stuff, but it's, it's a training ground to say, Jesus, I wanna be somebody who's willing to give it all. That if there was anything in my life and Jesus said, John, I want you to sacrifice that for the sake of the kingdom of God, would you be willing to do it? And I don't want the parking brake engaged when Jesus says give, or go, or do. Whatever it would be. And so to change our priorities, one of the things is is that on a very practical level would be to prioritize uh, generosity within your budget. Let it be the very first thing in your budget. Right? We learned this from Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. The very first thing listed in our budget is our generosity. Is our 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 portion that we give back to the church and the portion we give to other things, right? We give our 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 percentage. It's the very first thing. Our floor is that 10%, and it goes back to the church. Why am I saying that? Jesus said, give and don't tell anybody about it. And I'm obviously breaking that rule. Why? I'm doing it very candidly because I want people in our church to know that I'm not asking to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I don't want you to think that he just wants me to give because it'll benefit him. We live this out and that 10% for us is our floor. We teach this to our children. Our kids earn money for doing jobs around the house, they don't get allowance, they get commissions, they get paid. When they don't do their job, they don't get paid. But when they do their jobs, they get paid. And you know what the first thing is our kids have to do? They tithe. And so my kids make 20 bucks a month or $30 a month or whatever jobs that they did. If they pick up dog poop, they make a lot more money. But we have the little tithe envelopes. We took them home and we put them with their monies. And the first thing that they do out of the month when they earn that is we've calculated this is what you're giving back to your church and they put it in there, and they're so excited to write their name and drop it, and I saw another family do this recently, and the kids are just pumped to put their money in the collection box. They're so excited to give, and they put their name on the envelope and do all of this, but what we're teaching our kids is to prioritize it. It's the first thing out of the gate. We're gonna give our 10%, and I'll tell you what. I'm teaching my seven-year-old to give $2 out of his 20. It's gonna be a lot easier when he's making $200 or $2,000, or you know, when he plays for the Mariners, you make $2 million, and he's still attending Hope City Church, and he's tithing. But you started young, and we teach that to them, and we prioritize it, we put it first. Within our church budget, as a congregation, it is the first thing that goes out to our denomination, that 10% that goes out. And then we have another 10% that goes to missions, and outreach, and global and local efforts that we're doing. We're putting money out of our building but it's prioritized in there. To prioritize not just the regular 10%, but also then on top of that, prioritizing the fun giving, right? Because like I said, sometimes the tithe and offering is just a, it's a practice that we do, and it comes to be something that, it's a regular discipline, a regular rhythm, but it's not as exciting and fun. So sprinkle in into your budget some fun things to give to. Create a coffee budget where you bless people with coffee. Create a meal budget where you get to take somebody out to eat once a month. Put 10 bucks away and start saving that money to give and bless and serve and and honor somebody else and watch how much fun it is to give that. When you you begin to pencil in those things, prioritize those things into your budget. We do this at Christmas time with our Christmas giving with the church, the Advent. We we calculate all that we're gonna spend on presents and lights and everything and then we take 10% of that Christmas budget for the notes. And we set it aside for our Advent giving. I'll tell you, as a family, it is super fun to sit around and like go through the menu of options that we give to missions and and give because you've already set that money aside and you're excited to give those things away. So let's make generosity fun, right? Begin to prioritize and set those things, make plans and do that. We do that as a church, we do that as as people, but it's learning to prioritize it so that we're not just living on accident. Oh, in the moment, spontaneously. but We're prioritizing, we're making this a value of our lives. And the third change that I would encourage you is to change your lifestyle. Change your view of money, change your priorities, but you change your lifestyle. And This is where the rubber kind of meets the road in a very practical sense, is it is hard to be generous when we are living outside of our means. When I was out of school and swimming in debt, thank you, Northwest University, $60,000 in debt, it is really hard to be generous. So we had to be very conscientious and very strategic about getting out of that debt, and it frees up funds. We're very strategic about how we spend our money and what cars we're buying and debts that we're going to take on and credit cards and all this. And you know what happens as I begin to live within my means As I grow to be very content with the truck that I have or the house that I'm in or the boat that I never will own. But I'll pay for gas to go on your boat <laughs> because I'm going to live within my means and it allows me to be generous in other ways. And it doesn't feel very spiritual to say that, but there is there, there is some biblical practices within there about not being indebted, to be free, to use your funds how you want to and are led to, and it is hard to do that when I gotta pay credit and debt. Another aspect of changing our lifestyles, though, is making sacrifices. Being generous means that you and I are gonna be sacrificial people. We are going to have to give things up for the sake of somebody else. When they would sell that property, what are they doing? They're making a sacrifice for the sake of somebody else to use those funds. And so changing a lifestyle. Maybe I'm not gonna have all nine streaming services available to me. I'm gonna make some sacrifices in my budget. I'm not gonna go out to eat as much. I'm not gonna own a boat. I'm not gonna do these things. I'm gonna make sacrifices and say, I'm gonna give this up for the sake of being able to have funds to be able to bless people in these ways. But in making that sacrifice, it allows you to live in a rhythm of generosity. I heard a story about somebody in our church, and here's a, a small example of a sacrifice made. They're standing in line at the grocery store. Guy in front of them, taking forever. You know how that goes. Buying all of his groceries, and he doesn't have enough money to pay for it. I mean, if you've seen moments like this, right? And it's not a ninety-two; it's over 50 bucks. And I heard this story, the person in our church that saw this happen and said, I got it. And they swiped their card for the remaining 50 plus dollars it was. They made a sacrifice of 50 bucks. And some of you are like, 50 bucks is a lot. And some of you are like, 50 bucks, what's the big deal? But they made a sacrifice because if I gave you 50 bucks, you would find something fun to do with it, right? They made a sacrifice. And in that moment, that person just said, you're loved. Our church teaches we're to be generous and we're to love people. And we want you to know you're loved. And the checkout lady just broke in that moment, just waterworks, and I would have been the same because I'm a deep feeler, right? Just broke watching this act of generosity by this person. But it took a sacrifice in a moment and that's what we're talking about, is changing our lifestyles, changing our priorities, changing our views of money. And I would encourage you to start making changes. Whether they feel large or small, start making changes, even if they feel small. Because for some, it's, I'm talking about tithing, and you're like, Sean, how do I go from 0% to 10%? That feels like a mile. Or giving your property, right? You read that story, and the idea of selling your property and giving it to the church seems like audacious but it all starts with just making small changes. Start with a small change. Go from 0% to 2%. Go from 4% to 6%. Go from 7% to 12%, right? You just change those percentages and as you start making small changes, watch the change that happens in you. Not for the return on investment and the, you know, mega millions that come pouring down from the heavens. But watch the change as you start to see people differently, stuff differently, money differently, your heart differently. You start making changes and you start seeing changes. I'll say that again. You start making changes and you will start seeing changes, even if they feel small. Start setting aside $10 a week or $10 a month that you can go bless somebody with. That's a small change. But spending that $10 intentionally to bless somebody else, you're gonna see a change that happens in you. Go through your cupboards, go through your closets, go through your workshop and just purge the stuff that you don't need anymore. Give it away. Have a yard sale and give all that money away. I don't know, just do something to begin a small change in changing the way that you view your money, you prioritize differently and you change your lifestyle. And we begin to see these changes. As we strive to be reshaping this rhythm of generosity, like I said earlier, I've been a little more candid, a little bit more honest, and and, and I I don't want you to misinterpret, and and I, I believe you know me well enough that I'm not up here humble bragging. I'm trying to lead by example that April and I live our lives to try to develop this rhythm of generosity, and it's changed our lives and we're inspired by other people when we see their generosity to us and to other people. And I want that for everyone. I want you to experience the vibrancy, the growth, the maturation that happens. And we strive to be a church as well, and this is, this is important. I want you to know when you give to Hub City that we are creating a culture of generosity, not of accumulation. I want you to begin to trust that when you are giving to this church, you are not giving to just increase our reserves or to buy more and more for ourselves or to build our kingdom. We are about the generosity of the kingdom of God, and that's what you're giving to, that's what you're supporting, that we're about meeting needs, we're about resourcing, equipping. The book that Sally mentioned, notice we didn't charge you for that, we're just giving it out. That's because of the generosity of the church that allows that to happen. The giving of the church allows us to buy these resources so that we don't have to sit there and be like, can you pay $5 for your book? No, we just want to put tools in your hands so you can go be with Jesus. That's what this is about. Being a church that is generous, both as an individual and as a collection of people. And so as we come to worship, we're gonna just close with a song, and I want us to just come to Jesus in this moment with open hands, as I close them, open hands. And I want you to, to come to worship. The worship team's gonna come up and we're just gonna conclude with one. And I want you to, to, to have a conversation with Jesus about what does it mean for you to develop this rhythm of generosity. I don't know that we ever get it dialed in. Even as I was pondering and writing these things this week, I'm thinking, I don't have it figured out. I've learned some things. I'm growing in some things. But I'm continuing to learn to release the parking brake so I can pursue Jesus with everything that I am. I don't want anything to get in the way that we would love Jesus and love people. I don't think anybody does, right? Nobody wants anything to obstruct our ability to love God and love people. So let's get off the parking brake. Let Jesus begin to identify those things for you And let's be people who are generous. Would you just stand with me? We're going to worship together. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital Connect card at thehubcitychurch.com/connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.